Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is ironradio.org. I'm Robert Fortress Fortney, former editor at Muscle Mag International, former competitive bodybuilder, um, and current strength enthusiast. And good afternoon, everyone. Charles Staley, author of Muscle Logic, creator of Escalating Density Training, and I'm also a master's level competitive weightlifter. Hey, this is Bill Stevens. I'm a strength coach, competitive powerlifter, and founder of liftforhope.org. Today, folks, we have uh, royalty among us. We have uh, the great Mr. Bill Pearl, who uh, essentially owned bodybuilding probably through the 50s and 60s um, and up to the early 70s. Um, and his his list of credentials in the world of strength and physique is almost too numerous to mention. Um, he's won all the big titles of his era, um, and he's achievement lifetime achievement awards. He's an author of one of the more well known uh, books on weight training, uh, Keys to the Universe. Keys there is is that is that the title? Keys to the Interview Universe. Sorry, and um, welcome, Mr. Pearl. Welcome, thank you, and I'm smiling. You, you make me sound like I know something or do something right. That's good, thank you. <laughs> well, no, um, uh, Bill and I have spoken and met several times, and uh, I must say that over all the years I've been involved in bodybuilding, Bill is certainly one of the true gentlemen of the sport, um, and I uh, personally would wish that uh, more champions um, strive to be the gentleman that he is, so... Uh, Let's start a little bit, Bill, with uh, just kind of recapping some of your uh, history through weight training um, and how you got involved in this. I'm sure many, many readers, or listeners rather, um, know your story, but uh, give us a brief recap of, um, I mean, you were born in 1930, correct? I was born in 1930, yes, in a little town of Prineville, Oregon, on on an Indian reservation, on on a Nez Perce Indian reservation, yes. And you um, were athletic as a, as a youngster, um, although I, I believe I've read that you don't believe that you were a natural athlete. No, right? I had to work at everything I've done in my life. Everything, nothing's come easy, but I, I had enough tenacity to just don't give up, and that's exactly what I suggest everybody does in life, just don't give up. Mm-hmm. Now, you um, have been said to have been interested in just the you know attainment of, of muscular physique and strength from basically from the time that you were, again, just a youngster. Um, where do you think that comes from? My older brother, he was he's still alive. He's two years and eight months older than I am. And every day, like clockwork, he's going to make me cry one way or another. And so survival <laughs> of the fittest. It was just like the old Charles Atlas deal, getting sand kicked in your face. So, it what was, was the reaction of, of what was the reaction of your peers and even just adults around you when you were doing that? Because again, we're talking about a different era now. Um, one that I think a lot of people looked at people who want you know men who want to achieve um, you know muscles and that type of thing as almost you know freaks. Yes. Well, my dad claimed if I did as much work around the house as I did in the basement of our house, we would have been a lot better off. So <laughs> he wasn't. No, nobody in the family was into weight training, especially my family. There's just too much work involved and too little work around the house. Mm-hmm. Now you um, apparently I was I was just reading something before the interview. Apparently you had to wait two years for your first uh, weight set to arrive because it was the wartime. Yes, yeah, so, uh, strangely I worked the entire summer to to buy a York Big Ten special. It cost me twenty two dollars and ninety five cents. I ordered the set in nineteen forty two and got delivery in nineteen forty five. Wow. For the listeners out there, we're talking to Bill Pearl, who, again, is a, a legend of bodybuilding and strength. Um, you have your own website here, um, BillPearl.com, correct? Yes. 
Um, what what type of things um, can can listeners find at, at, at your uh, site be, besides just um, you know recaps of your career and, and well and most titles? anything pertaining to education on on weight training sensible weight training and I've been fortunate to have like you mentioned authored some books that have been extremely successful and we have wall charts and things that pertain to self help I I'm a big advocate of trying to get other people to uh, save as much time as they possibly can, w- wasting time trying to determine what they should do and what they should not do. And if you can get involved with someone you truly respect, like all of you are respected, it's, and you tell someone to do something nine times out of ten, they'll do it if it's coming from a, a good information. And that's sure. what all of you three have done and, and will continue to do. Sure. Now, <clears throat> as I was saying when I intro you, um, your titles, uh, you won all the big titles of your day. Mm-hmm. Uh, five Mr. Universes, correct? Mm-hmm. And, well, I was um, a former Mr. America winner and a Mr. USA winner and things such as that. Right, and you actually won your final professional universe in 71, was it? Mm-hmm. I, I was 41 years old. Yeah, um, and that was pretty much because you were, I think it was your friend Leo Stern was was goading you into it because people were challenging you? Well, yes, Schwarzenegger in particular, Arnold, was a, one of my bigger challenges and so on. And I was trying to advocate the use of the legitimate weight training without the use of anabolic steroids. And my goal was to try to show people that you could compete in those days with the top athletes out there if you really, truly trained hard and had the mental attitude toward it without the abuse of drugs. And that was, I fortunately did win the contest. Arnold decided one week before the contest to bag out of the contest, so he didn't compete. But oh, wow. Sergio, Sergio Leva was there. Frank Zane was there. Reg Park was there. Chris Dickerson was there. All the top athletes were there. And I fortunately won the contest. But what I was attempting to do to the public was just turned on a deaf ear. No one cared to hear about what I had to say. <laughs> yeah. Now, you also have um, achieved some great lifts in your era. Um, I believe you squatted over 600 pounds, mm-hmm. uh, pre- pre- bench press in the mid-fours, mm-hmm. um, seated press over 300, mm-hmm. these types of things. Um, those, those are great lifts. And, and 40, 50 years ago, what do you think is the uh, – do you think strength has really um, advanced that much? Um, between when you were and now, outside of things like drugs and uh, the support gear and so forth? Or well, I, I think the strength has advanced, but also the human body has advanced as well. Whereas I, I was doing those lifts weighing maybe 220, 25 pounds. Now these athletes are 300 pounds, and so consequently they're handling more weight. But it's it's just a form of evolution of the human body with over the last 50-year period of time. Exactly. So I, I don't know that there are any stronger body weight for a body weight, but I I do think that, and again, the, the hardcore training that I did, and, and a lot of you have done, it's no longer in vogue. Um, people go to a health club for cosmetic reasons, but not to get bigger or stronger. And I hate to say it, but in the sport today, health is the furthest thing from most people's minds. They're looking for the cosmetic aspects of weight training and what it's going to do and how you look on a, in a T-shirt, but health doesn't come into play anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly you... you uh or be advocate of that, and obviously reflective of a healthful lifestyle. Um, you still train like a like a monster. Uh, you've always told me that every time I've met you. You yes. still get up very early and train. Uh, why don't yes. you tell us a little bit about? Has your training kind of uh, morphed a little bit over the years, or do you essentially pretty much do what you used to do? Well, no, I do what I used to do, or what my body allowed me to continue to do. Right. Uh, like everybody else, as they grow older, you have some aches and pains, and and my attitude toward training isn't what it was as a youngster. And I know I can never achieve what I've originally had, but I can do the best I can with, with what God has left me to do it with. Mm-hmm. And I still watch my eating habits very, very closely. And I'm up in the gym behind our house at four o'clock every morning, Monday through Saturday, and I train from four to six o'clock, and then I. 
go down and take a shower, and I get ready for the rest of the day. But I make weight training a very important aspect of my daily life. What kind of body weight do you maintain? I Today I weigh 232 pounds. 232? Wow. Yes. Wow. That I, I, that's actually a lot more than I anticipate, I think, from the reaction of my co-host there. Yeah. Um, no, that's, that's stunning. What, what I'm actually, just to break in momentarily, this is Charles, uh, Bill, what I'm stunned at, uh, uh, listening to you, uh, if, if someone didn't know who we were talking to, we would think we were talking to a guy in his 40s. Uh, yeah. the, the, the vitality you have uh, just just uh, really, uh, you know, is very evident through the phone. So, uh, you know, no one even needs to know what you look like or what you can do. It's, it's evident that you're you're far younger than your years. There's no question. Well, that, that, thank God for the telephone, you guys. <laughs> 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 this is great. Now, you've lived... Um out in Oregon for many, many years, correct? Pardon me? You've lived uh, yes, I was born and raised in Oregon, then I spent a, a lot of time in Washington State as a young kid, and then we, I was in the service in, in California for several years, and my first health club was in Sacramento, California, which I opened in 1954, and I stayed in the California area until about 1971, then we moved back to Florida, I mean, excuse me, Oregon, rather, and we've been in this area since. Yeah, I actually want to touch a little bit about, upon that. I mean, Beyond the fact that, again, you're a legend of um, physique and bodybuilding and all the titles you've won and, the, you know, your publishing and so forth, you also were um, quite a pioneer in the whole advent of, of um, health clubs and so forth. Mm-hmm. And that's, you kind of broached upon that a little bit, and that was the time, I suppose, um, after your service years, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. And yeah. I was fortunate to open my first health club. Uh, after four years in the Navy, I had saved $2,800 in war bonds, and I was lucky enough to be able to build my own equipment and open a successful health club on $2,800 back in 1954. That's less than the price of a stationary bicycle today. Mm-hmm. So it's and, there again, it just goes to show you what the sport has been and done in the last 50 years. Right. Obviously, now you probably have your own home gym. Yeah, we do. It's a very successful club, and and I have people who have been with me for 25 or 30 years, and we're just like old friends, and we get in there and laugh about our aches and pains, but we get there every morning like clockwork, and we just don't miss. Now, have you ever um, suffered any catastrophic injuries or no? No more than anybody else. I have a, you know, everybody has a like a bad shoulder or a bad knee and that type of thing, but nothing very serious. And I make the comment: if your shoulder hurts real bad, go hurt, hurt your knee worse than your shoulder goes away. So that, <laughs> that's a philosophy we use today. Right, right. Um, so just minor aches and pains. And yeah, nothing, nothing serious. I can't come. No, I've never passed out or I've never, you know, bled through the eyeballs. I'm, I'm okay. Now you've been, you've been married uh, to your wife for a, very, a long, long time, correct? Yes, forty-four years. Uh huh. She's my greatest advocate, and her name is Judy, and I wouldn't trade her for all the Judys in the world. <laughs> it's nice to hear. Has Thank she you. always uh, been very supportive of that? And does she um, also engage in weight training these types of things? She's in the gym with me every morning at four o'clock until six o'clock every morning, six days a week, and she's the best training partner I've ever had. Wow. Now, what would you say was your most um, cherished um, title? Probably the Mr. America contest, which I won in 1953 because I was, I'd only been in weight training for a short period of time and, and uh, I, in 1952 I wanted, I placed third in the Mr. San Diego contest 
then, uh, which was, I was just absolutely elated that I got this little teeny trophy that I still have the darn thing. Wow. And in 1953, I was fortunate to win the Mr. San Diego, uh, Mr. Southern California, Mr. California, then luckily won the Mr. America contest, and I was the most surprised person on stage. I didn't dream that I was able to win a contest of that dimension. Then a couple months later, I went on a, that same year of 53, I won my first Mr. Universe contest. So it was just one thing after another, and and I was no one in the industry is more shocked than I that this took place. <laughs> You're uh, you must have a room in your house that's a veritable uh, um, shrine to some bodybuilding memorabilia. No, sadly it isn't, and because it's I don't show my trophies. Um, I don't have pictures of myself on the walls. Um, if I'm worried about tomorrow and today, I don't care about yesterday. It's gone. So. <laughs> I'm worried about today, and if it's a shrine, it's a, one of my great grandkids. Let's put it that way. <laughs> is there? A, I mean, everybody comes to a point in their life where, where you know, the gains aren't coming quite as as fast as they were at one point, and you can kind of see things going the other way. Um, how, how psychologically have you have you dealt with that? Well, I just do the best I can with what I got, which left to do it with, and I I still have. Uh, I don't. Uh, have any of this gratification of being what I used to be, and it doesn't really make a great deal of difference. And my biggest uh, concern is to be as healthy as possible, as and as active as I possibly can, and not become dependent on someone else for my well-being. And so, it's very adamant to me that I want to stay in good condition because I don't want to put this burden on anybody else in the family. Oh well, it's a great attitude. There was a couple of years after before you actually did your. Um, um, you came back and won the 71 universe. There was mm-hmm. a couple years, I believe, there where you were actually racing bicycles. Yes. Um, do, do you still do um, things outside of weight training, like any other type of sports or activities? I don't as much now as I used to because it's just that I, I have the type of I have a type A personality. If I get involved in anything, I have to do 110 percent, or I don't want to play. Mm-hmm. And so when I, anything I take out, if it's like restoring automobiles or antique bicycles, I can't stop with one. I have to have a dozen of everything that was ever out there. I don't want to play. So, <laughs> right, right. And it, it's 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 a bad deal. And even with my training today, I, I do the best I can, but I don't want to get too carried away because it, it'll completely dominate my entire life, and it's sad. Right. Now, to other people who are just uh, joining us, we're talking to uh, the legend Bill Pearl of bodybuilding. Um what what kind of things do you have on the horizon right now? Are you working on any projects specifically? I'm just, yes, I'm just in the process of finishing another book, which has been on a, a six-year endeavor, three or four hours per day. And just before I talked to you people, I was working on the book again. It's called Legends of the Iron Game, and it's it's a history of the sport of bodybuilding from the 4,500 years ago up to the year 2010. And the darn thing has been, turned out to be a trilogy of three different books because of the size. It's over a 1,000 pages and 800 photographs, and and it's just been a giant nightmare, but it's been one of the most interesting things I've attempted to do. And will that be uh, for sale sometime soon? Yes, we should have it out by December. It's 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 in the process of going to press right now, as a matter of fact. Will people be able to uh, order that from your website as well? I certainly hope so. I know it's going to be there. If they order, it's one thing, but it'll definitely be there. Yes, it will, Robert. And for people listening, that's BillPearl.com, where they can go and... uh, Find out about all things Bill Pearl. Um, what do you think, guys? Is there? Uh, do you want to move on to the subject of the day? Well, I, I just want to jump in real quick and say sure. I'll be first in line to buy the new book. And you know, for for people, if if anyone's listening in right now who does not have keys to the uh, inner universe, that is the most staggering compendium of resistance training exercises that 
I, I never forget the first time I cracked the cover of that book, and I was just stunned, uh, especially coming from someone who, you know, all of us who've been in this game for a while figure you've basically seen everything. You've not seen everything until you picked up this book, and it's just such a useful tool. And, uh, you know, if you're ever uh, kind of feeling a little uh, stammered in terms of uh, creativity in your own programming, Boy, what a useful uh, tool that is! So I just want to make a little uh, a little plug for that book because it's, well, it's just something I, thank that you very much. Yeah, you know, interesting great. on the keys book that you're talking about. Most of the exercises done there are done with free weights, and actually, most people who work with free weights today they're working with a lost art. All of us understand what free weights can do, but when you figure that weight machines have come into play for the last 25 or 30 years, and less people have been spending time with free weights, it's become an lost art as to what to do with a barbell and dumbbell rather yeah. than not drop it on your toe. Well, <laughs> it's, am- it's amazing you should say that because in yeah. our facility, this is a big, a big topic for us that, you know, weight training really started with dumbbells and barbells. Exactly and, right. uh, and now, if you look out there in the industry, Everyone does everything but dumbbells and barbells. So they're using machines and they're doing so-called functional training and core training and Pilates and kettlebells. And, and they're, I'm not saying there's no value in any of those things, but people these days do not know how to use barbells. It's because of the lack of education that the health clubs and stuff are, are giving today. I mean, the, the most information you're going to get from any piece of equipment or individual today often comes off of the lead of a bicycle or a treadmill. And if you don't want to pay 40 or $50 an hour for a personal trainer, the only service you're going to get in a health club today comes from some lead off of a machine. And it's really, truly sad. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and it's turned into a uh, – the, the training industry is essentially ran now by a – what's the term? Uh, pin pushers instead of actual go. coaches or trainers. You know, I mean, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's truly, truly sad, seriously. Well, I mean, even you can go as far as say again when you were you know running your own clubs and so forth. It's much like the music industry, in my opinion. You know, years ago the clubs were owned and operated by people such as yourself, people who yeah. were actually pra- practitioners of this lifestyle. Yes. And and these clubs now, a great many of them and a majority of them are are run by businessmen, not fitness people or people who yes. have any kind of um, again inherent uh, lifestyle. This is what you're so saying. Is so true, Robert. Right. Right. I think that's a probably a good segue to go into our uh, topic of the day. <laughs> I think we're already in it, yeah. So. Yeah, I was going to say, Charles kind of led us into that, which is kind of um, basically because we have you on the show, and I mean, you're a great portal to a, a lot of people would say a better time in, in uh, you know physical culture. We'd like to talk a little bit about um, you know your impressions on what was physical culture back when you were kind of you know in your heyday versus now and what's become of the sport of bodybuilding this type mm-hmm. of thing um certainly phil and i were kind of going back a little bit uh, forth a little bit about how um certainly much to our our uh, chagrin a lot of uh bodybuilding today really doesn't have as much to do with you know um strength and and the the pursuit of you know athleticism and strength as it did back in your day where you know the two were kind of synonymous you know i, I bodybuilders in your day it was kind of like if you were a bodybuilder, you were a strength athlete, and if you were a strength athlete, you were kind of a bodybuilder, whereas today it's gotten so specific. Uh, it's cosmetics today. I hate to tell you this. It's cosmetics, and it, it's, um, it, it's it's sad, and, I, and the magazines don't help this at all because, they're, they're, you know, in the magazines today, that 99% of every article there has absolutely nothing to do with health or fitness. It has to do with the cosmetic aspects of weight training and mostly on a sexual connotation. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I think that's I think that is demeaning as places to the sport which has been around for thousands and thousands of years. And most people today have the idea that the bodybuilding began with Arnold Schwarzenegger's tapes and Jane Fonda, and it just is not true. Right. It, 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 and when we were training years ago, and I think the, all three of you can agree with this, at the time that you were training religiously like you are and have done, it almost became holistic. Right. It, it was a totally different ball game. Of course. And, and, and even aside, I think, and Bill, I, I'm guessing you would uh, you would concur with this, I mean, one of the one of the great values, of course, of resistance training is that it's um, it has so many great parallels with everything else you do in life. So it, this you know, is true. It, it teaches you how to persevere. It teaches you how to solve problems, and uh, you know, so those tie-ins are just huge. And yet, you never hear anyone who does train with weights understands those benefits. But as you say, they're not they're not promoted in the literature at all. No. They're not, and and sadly again, I'll come back to the health clubs. The health clubs are not teaching it either. They they want you in, they want you out of there, and and they come up with these different ideas. I hate to talk about core stabilization, as you folks have mentioned, but getting a 65 year old person on a on a on a ball that's in that you can fairly sit on and try to get this guy to exercise is the biggest mistake I think a person could possibly make. It's <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah, that's one thing I'd like to touch on. I mean, the strength again. I mean, I know. From speaking with you, you've you've always had an appreciation for it, but maybe maybe your newfound appreciation for it and how you know the preservation of strength helps preserve you. Well, that's you know, sure. instead of whereas instead of training how you look, you know, if you train to perform better in life, how that's going to help you, you know, by default preserve your youth. So, uh, wouldn't you say? Well, I would say, but if you also look at all the ads you see on late-night television and so on, they're going to tell you in 15 minutes a day what you can accomplish, or if you take this particular health food product, this is what's going to happen to you. That is just not true. Yeah. And and sadly, the industry has become an industry chuck full of lie after lie after lie. Everybody is lying to everybody, and it's sad. What, what do yeah, you think I'm, that? I'm, what, what, I'm, I'm sorry. Totally. I mean, it's something that we all push, I know. Um, it's you have to learn to enjoy the ride. Okay. All the things now are fifteen minutes here, twenty seconds there. Pop this okay. pill. It's it's about people not wanting to do it, but having to do this. You know, what's okay. the easy way out? Yes, I, you, I, you I, need to learn to enjoy the culture. Yes, it, it, it has to be that way. And and the end results are yourself, your personal satisfaction. They asked me who I competed against in contests. I can't tell you fifty percent of the people I competed against, but I can also tell you I always competed against myself. I was my biggest competitor. One thing of the difference is, I'm sorry. Bill, is, is, no, I was gonna, I was gonna ask. Um, we're, we're all well aware of of of, of the, the deterioration of physical culture over the past decades, but do you see anything out there that encourages you? Good no. question. No, okay, yes, I do. When it comes to hardcore bodybuilding as a sport, I see nothing encouraging at all. But I do see people becoming more aware of the of the the intensity that you should put behind some type of a physical fitness program for just to maintain the type of a lifestyle that you want to maintain. As an example, if you only you want to do is walk back and forth to your car to go to work, there's a certain amount of exercise you should do that'll enable you to do this until you retire from that job. So I do right. see where the the whole public is getting more involved in knowing that exercise is important for their particular lifestyle. But to get to the point where you see the physiques today, 
that turns people off so badly. It's pathetic. I mean, they don't even want their kids to get involved. As an example, if I had one of my grandkids want to do what a fellow like Jay Cutler is currently doing today, I'd do everything under my power to discourage that kid from weight training. Yeah, understandably. When do you think, uh, in your opinion, Bill, when, when did, did you yourself see a, a, a paradigm shift there in the whole physical culture kind of? Um, when anabolics and money came into play. Okay. When, when, so what would you when, say was the golden era of bodybuilding, in your opinion? Well, there again, you see, now I'm from the old school, and my idols were John Grimmick and, and Clancy Ross and people such that that, that one I admired. So those are the people that I admired, but I also was a great fan of Eugene Sandow's and those whole crew coming up the line. But when money and anabolic steroids and drugs became into the play, and it became a way, a means to an end for something else other than weight training by itself or the sport of bodybuilding, that, to my period, was a time where things started to go by the wayside. Do you think professional bodybuilding can ever be salvaged, salvaged to a degree? No, I don't no. because anabolic steroids. No, because people have become so accustomed to seeing so many freaks on stage. Without the freaks, there is no contest. Right, right. Yeah. Do you, when did you stop following um, competitive bodybuilding? I'm guessing probably sometime in the 1980s and so on. Uh, and but I still, as, as an example, I work as a consultant for a company called Life Fitness. And I've been with them since 1986, as a, as I and I traveled in the world, in the United States, giving talks and lectures and so on, and promoting the health food, their their line of health food products. But the only shows I go to today is a show that Life Fitness asked me to go, and I get paid to be in the audience. Right. And that and that again is very very sad. Right. Fascinating. I hope I'm not putting some negative attitude on what we're talking about here. If if I am, no. I apologize. Okay. No, no I, think, I, think, I think this is exactly what people need to hear. Okay. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think it's exactly what a lot of us are telling telling them as well. Um, I think the yeah. healthiest you're seeing now are, are away from, from this culture and in your small health clubs. And like you said, teaching people to uh, compete with themselves. I mean, I know I train myself and I train a lot of athletes in strength sports. And, you know, I tell them if, you, if you're worried about that other guy, how strong he is or what he's taking, well, you're 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 worried about the wrong thing. You're not spending yeah. enough time worrying about yourself. Yes. You know, to make yourself better. So that's the only thing you can do. And if if by making yourself better you beat the other guy, fine, that's perfect. But <laughs> the main thing is you being better than you were yesterday. Well, I no, think I, what I, I, oh, go ahead, Bill. I'm sorry. Go no, that's okay. Go ahead. No, I was just going to um, I was going to throw a couple of things out at you and and and, and see if you uh, were willing or, or or interested in commenting on two um, kind of relatively recent trends in, in, the, in the fitness world, and uh, one is uh, kettlebell training, mm -hmm. and the other is uh, this organization called CrossFit, and I wonder if you just had any thoughts uh, about either. Well, I, I laugh when they on kettlebells. I laugh. The reason why barbells and dumbbells became so very popular is they took the place of kettlebells, and it's, I hate to tell you this, but my getting back to the idea that you got something brand new kettlebell training, which was very popular in about 1890, I don't think you've done a lot to expand the sport of bodybuilding. I mean, we've gone back, we've regressed 100 years. <laughs> and so I can't see a whole lot of advantage to it. And believe me, there's nothing you can't do with a barbell or a dumbbell that you cannot do yeah. or that, that, that will take the place of a kettlebell. Yeah. 
and yeah. the kettlebell is an awkward thing to handle. It, it tears up your wrist if you clean it overhead. It, it pops your wrist up, about breaks your arm. There's about a thousand things that they can't do that you can't do with a dumbbell. So it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Yeah, yeah. It's very telling, too, also, when you're looking at your uh, career highlights here. It's very telling that um, in 96, you got the American Powerlifters Federation Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and that's very telling because I don't, I don't well, think there's you. any bodybuilders today who would, uh, any powerlifting federation would even care to mention. Well, but there again, there's a group of people who came up at the same time that I did, and we had similar attitudes, and, and, uh, and you know, some people took one path and the other person took another path, but we all can respect each other, and that's the main thing that we have to consider on this, everything in life from here on in. And that's the interesting thing as well is how, you know, specific all these different branches of the quote-unquote weight tree have become. Um, in your era, a lot of them just kind of just bled into one another, right? Again, I mean, as Phil was saying earlier, you trained um, to, you know, um, for your physique to reflect um, what you were capable of doing in the gym and, and performance-wise, correct? Well, on th- yes, but on top of that, most bodybuilders in my era and prior to this, they were also very involved in some form of strength training like wrestling or gymnastics that was part of this thing core stabilization that you're talking about here there was a there was a system as an example i wrestled as a kid i performed gymnastics as a kid and weight training was a forerunner i mean all this was a forerunner to my weight training and if you look at all the hardcore athletes john grimmick you look at all these guys from all the way back they all had a background of, of either gymnastics or weight training, in, or excuse me, wrestling, in conjunction with their weight training. They just all went hand in hand. Or, or, or funny that you should mention that. I was going to bring up hand balancing. Okay. And you know, and most people listening in are not going to even know what that is. But uh, the very first time I lifted a weight, it was in a little gym, in in a place called the Pauling Health Manor in Pauling, New York. And it was run by Bob Gross, uh, whose wife, Joy Gross, back in the 70s and 80s, was uh, a very popular, best-selling author on the topic of vegetarianism. Yes, I know Bob and Gross. So, and so so I, the very first, uh, this is actually fascinating for me that you know who Bob Gross is, um, because the very first time I ever touched a weight, it was in Bob Gross's gym, <clears throat> which is just a little hole in the wall. But, but anyway, my point in all of this is that, there were photos of hand balancing yes. uh, all over this. And, and, and by the way, another thing I want to point out, Bob Gross's gym, and, and we're talking now, oh, maybe 1972, 73. Um, the center of the gym was a boxing ring, and then, then you had okay. weight machines and weights all over the place and, and stuff. But there are a lot of photos of hand balancing. So uh, how, how many bodybuilders were involved in, in and hand balancing, or was that a, a separate? It was all. Well, I'm I'm referring to gymnastics and hand balancing all in the same phrase. I'm sorry, but hand okay. balancing and gymnastics was all the same. But uh, you can look at Muscle Beach and what, what, what how popular it was back in the 1930s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, and so on. And all those guys were hand balancers and gymnasts that went there, and they drew thousands and thousands of spectators every weekend like clockwork. And uh, and if you look very closely, fellows like George Eiferman, uh, I can just uh, Harold Zinken, I can Joe Gold, myself, even Schwarzenegger, all those guys were down there performing as some type of a of a of, of an event that had to do with hand balancing or gymnastics on the weekends when we did had nothing else to do and you also did a lot of um did a lot of exhibitions with some interesting things like uh bending nails and those types of things as well correct yes i, I had a little uh act that i follow around i'd, I'd bend these 70 penny spikes and blow up hot water bottles and 
and tear horseshoes and Spartan and things such as this because it was easy for me to put those things in a bag, just a little duffel bag, and carry it to where I was going to go rather than the 500-pound barbell. So <laughs> just a lot easier to do it. And it was actually more impressive. If you're blowing up a, a hot water bottle until it bursts and the guy sitting next to you is thinking, my God, I can't blow up a balloon. This guy's popping hot water bottles. He must be something. So it, it's all illusions. And uh I found out that it, it, if you're doing something that seems to be unique, like handling human weights rather than free weights, it's more impressive. If you right. pick up a horse, people say, my God, that's something or other. But you, you pick up a 500-pound barbell, people don't care. Yeah, right. right. I mean, you see that, I mean, a little off subject, but we see that today. I've, I've competed in both strongman and, uh, and powerlifting. I've thrown both shows as a, uh, you know, a promoter. And yes. the people very much so can... They have no clue when they see a barbell how no. much weight. No. But, they, you know, they a truck, uh, a barrel, things like that, that they relate to that much better. And I think that's kind of a that's yeah, why the, the strong man is coming back and, and things like that. Bill, yeah, Bill, talk to us about that, by the way. I mean, uh, do, do you see that as a positive uh, movement, the whole strong man, the popularity of strong men these days? I do to an extent, but then again, people, uh, which is a sad part of, again, when the strongman competition you see on television, you might see four or five people competing in these strongman events, and you've got three or four or 500 people in the audience watching these three or four strongmen. So my idea is, how are you going to get those three or 400 people doing nothing to get involved in some type of a strength program rather than yeah. sitting or watching television where a football game is being played, four, 24 guys on the field, but you've got 35,000 people in the stands? Wow, right. That's the problem. We've got to somehow or other, in our industry, all of us included, have got to work out some type of a method to get those 35 people off their rear ends and doing something for themselves rather than watching 24 people on the field. Yeah. And we're yeah. not advocating that. The, the, the way the industry is going, this is not being advocated. Yeah. That's, yeah. Do you, um, yeah, um, what kind of reactions did you get back in the 50s and so forth from the general public to, to your physique? I mean, today it's almost expected, you know, people are going to yeah. see, you know, big muscular people today. But, I mean, for our younger listeners, I mean, we're talking about an era where, you know, a large muscular men were a very a rarity. I'll laugh. I, I won the Mr. America contest when I was in, in 1953. I was in the Navy. And my my mother... And father were living in a little town in, in Montana, and they saw a newspaper article that I had won the contest, the Mr. America contest. My mother wrote me a letter. And she says, "I guess you've probably grown out of all your clothes that you have here in the in the closet here, so I should probably throw them away." So that was her <laughs> comment on me winning the Mr. America contest that she was going to throw my clothes away. So that was it. <laughs> and that will give you an idea how important it was back then. Yeah. Did you did you ever try and downplay in the general public your physique? Um, no, I never tried to do anything with my physique. To tell you the truth, the public did it. I didn't do it. I just sat here and kept doing what I was doing. I let the public take the take the role. I have never promoted myself any other than I'm talking to you people. But this hasn't been a case. I just kind of was drug along, and I'm still being drug along today by you people. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> <So, laughs> <geez. laughs> what does a typical training day look like now, Bill? I get up at 2 o'clock every morning, 2 a.m. every morning, and I sit and read, and I meditate a little teeny bit till about 3.30, 3.15, somewhere around there. I walk up to my big barn, which is behind our house, which just has a complete health club in there, and then I 
uh, turn on a radio and I do a little bit of vacuuming and clean the place up. And about three quarter to four, we start our exercise program and people start trickling in. I have four or five people who've been busy for years, and we go through a regular training program from four o'clock to about quarter to six. Then we pack up and we close the door to the old barn and walk down and get ready to go to work. And I work till about four or five o'clock in the afternoon and go home and get a meal and I go to bed and start in the next day doing the same thing I did before. <laughs> I've been doing that for the last 35 or 40 years. What time do you go to bed? I go to bed around 7 or 8 o'clock. But we live in a very small town, a little town called Talent, Oregon, about 3,000 population. And people say, well, you know, well, why are you going to bed so early? I say, well, what else do you have to do in a town of 3,000 at 2 o'clock in <laughs> the morning? i got no reason but not to get up. So that's it. Yeah. Sure. Do you, st- do you still employ the um free bar squats and those types of things in your I don't do as much I have some knee problems now I have to be honest with you I can't squat like I used to and so on and I don't want to go through any knee replacements if I can help it so I'm kind of watching them closely but I'll do leg extensions and so on but uh my upper body has lasted much better than my lower law body but for me to squat 3 or 400 pounds or 500 pounds today I just can't do it and I don't even put it into my repertoire anymore I just can't do it I don't want to suffer the consequences, and if I hurt myself badly, I don't recover like I used to. Oh. And I'm, you know, I want to leave a little bit in the gym for tomorrow, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. So I don't want to do it all in one shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Diet-wise, um, I know I've heard that you you've went to vegetarian before, and this and that. What, what are you? How are you eating now? My wife and I have been lacto-over vegetarians. That means that we don't eat any red meat, fish, or fowl, and we have stuck on this diet for the last 44 years. Yeah. And we do not deviate. But so this was prior to. Would you say here just this? I mean, would you say you would have done this earlier? Could I you would have reached the goals. If I did? would have done it, well, actually, I won Mr. America, uh, Mr. Universe contest, the 1967 and the 1970 Mr. Universe on a lacto-ovo vegetarian diet. Mm-hmm. So I I was competing as as a vegan at one time, not as a vegan, excuse me, uh, on both ways. And I just found out I increased my protein intake, but I discovered years ago there was nothing in a piece of meat that I couldn't get from another form of of food. That meat wasn't Uh the thing that was getting me where I was. It was was other things besides that. But we have not deviated from this diet. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Very, very interesting. Um, I'm, I'm still pondering, uh, Bill, your your kind of daily schedule, and uh, it always struck me as, um, you know, a characteristic of a of a good athlete that they're they're very regimented, and uh, you know, it reminds me of Lance Armstrong, uh, oh, yes. who, uh, who who has spoken often about how he he thrives on regularity yes. and structure, and yes. and and we were talking to a, a promising. Uh, athlete recently, and she was saying, "Well, I just get up, you know, whenever, when, you know, and 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 it just struck me as, you know, on all the best athletes I've ever known are very structured and 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 very regimented. So it was interesting to hear you say that. Well, thank you, I appreciate it. But in some ways, it's a it's a very mundane type of a lifestyle. But we're I'm very very happy with it. And thankfully, like I told you, my wife goes along with it, and all of our kids are raised, and and everybody they knows me for know me for what I am, and they all leave me alone, and so we get along just fine. Yeah, I mean, on that subject, honestly, I mean, you look at it, and most of the successful and uh, let's say healthy even people in the world are very regimented, and yeah. uh, I mean, we get it time and time again. It's uh, 
I guess. You know, you hear it a lot of times from people who are out of shape and unhappy. Well, you're so obsessed with it. And no, I don't think it's obsession. It, it's a passion. Well, it's a lifestyle. It's not necessarily an obsession, but it's a lifestyle. And all of us have a lifestyle, and it's just a particular lifestyle you choose as to just the most convenient as to what your particular mode of makeup is. That's all there is to it. Yeah, I mean, there's a there's a huge – I guess what I'm getting at, there's a big difference between an obsession and a passion and something yes. you love. Yes. Obsession. And I still do love the weight training. I, I don't know that I've ever gone to – the gym, our little barn behind our house that I've trained there for the last 35 or 40 years, and I haven't thanked that barn as I close the door. <laughs> I know it sounds silly, but I mean, and I have never, never been able to outdo that barn. I mean, I got enough weights in there that, believe me, uh, I can't outdo it. And I, when I turn out the lights and close that light or the door to the barn, which we have never locked in 40-some-odd years, I sit back and I thank that barn for what it's given me for that particular day. That's... Wow. uh that's that kind of sentiment is fascinating and it reminds me of the reverence that martial artists have to their dojo okay you know, which is where you train and and uh you know it's treated with respect and yes. uh you know you know and and uh old old time gym lifters if i can use that term had that same kind of reverence and you know you you didn't you know, even Olympic weightlifters today will not step over a bar, and there's there's a certain sort of etiquette that you yes. use with with other lifters, and uh, and uh, that's all but lost, it seems. Well, I make the comment. I have several people come up and train with us on Saturdays and so on. I invite guests up to come train with us, and I don't mind if a person was to take a piece of equipment and it broke because of abuse, but I don't want it broken because of abuse. Yes. I refuse that to happen. If people are dropping the weights in my in my little club and stuff, they're out the door. That's it, period. I mean, if they don't respect the equipment, they don't respect the whole atmosphere there, then that's not the type of person I want to associate with. Yeah, 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 for sure. I, people look at me strange in the gyms I train at because I oftentimes, uh, you know, open my big mouth when people are, you know, <laughs> dropping weights, particularly, yes, you know, um, loudly when they don't need to be and this type of thing and not putting their weights away and that and I and I've actually used Charles I've used that analogy a lot about you know martial art dojos and so forth about how you know it is kind of a Tom Platts actually has talked a lot about that type of thing as well I'm sure but, yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. How you have to kind of respect you know the the environment where you train and where you you know you you get this kind of stuff from and mm-hmm. you know it's amazing in the year 2009 again just the other day I was telling somebody and they look at you very very funnily when you when you're you tell them you know like don't just throw things around and put your weights away and all this type of thing. It's it's there seems to be something lost in that. Well, well again, because, and I hate to tell you though, you guys, it it comes back to the person who's either managing or running the club. If he doesn't respect the club, I say that that if the the person you meet at the front desk of a club walking in has a a mundane um, whatever attitude towards a job and they're at the front desk, you can bet the entire club is just like that person working the front desk of that club. Yeah, sure. Well, I think, uh, you know, as Bill touched on before, I think what's even more sad than uh, than that, uh, abuse in clubs, is the clubs no longer allow use. You know, I can't walk into a, an everyday club and go on a deadlift. You know, without, <laughs> without yeah, especially if you have to I mean, yeah, this 700 pounds when it hit the floor is loud. I can't no, help no, that. Right. Yeah, no, it, no. <laughs> you know? this but, is I true. But, I mean, that is, that is even more sad. And, mm-hmm. uh, so. and that's happening well, Bill, at Jim. Bill, I'll, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what. We, we, we will pledge to, 
to turn this situation around, the, <laughs> us younger dudes here, and uh, we are working hard to, uh, you know, to, to kind of revive uh, the atmosphere and, and, and kind of the, uh, um, you know, that kind of esprit de corps and, and those kind of methodologies. Uh, and, and that's kind of what we're all about. We're, we're very interested in, uh, you know, bringing back some of the older ways because that's, that's where all of this came from. And, uh, you know, I think it needs to be preserved. And there's just so much value in those types of training that, that people are not, you know, taking advantage of today. And, and the way that you know that is just, just look at the average person on the street today compared to 40, 50 years ago, and it's, it's, it's quite dramatic. Well, the, the thing of it is, this has got to be like a domino effect. Uh, if I've been fortunate enough to have helped somebody, and they help somebody, and they help somebody, it's a domino effect of pop, pop, pop down, which you, all of you are doing, which will keep the sport of bodybuilding or the the, the, the industry or the, the either the conception of bodybuilding, the healthy aspects of it alive. And the only thing that's really changed in the last 100 years or 200 years of this whole entire industry has been faces. People like me, we yeah. come, we go, and thank God there's people like you out there who are willing to take our place, and that's it. That's what I it boils what, down to. I think what's most interesting is um, you basically, rightly so, blame us. You know, I, what I'm saying is our kind, coaches and trainers and people that run the industry now. Yeah. And it's true. You know, and most trainers need to look at that and coaches and realize it. You know, we come back to the aspects of the almighty dollar. I hate to tell you this, but how many personal trainers today get a client and see how quickly he can get that client up to the point where they can take care of themselves and no longer need that personal trainer? Sure, sure. Because <laughs> they lost the client. They lost a $40 an hour job. It's actually yeah. funny. When I was doing some personal training several years ago at a specific club, I was uh, reprimanded for actually divulging too much information for exactly that reason. You have to drag this thing out. You know, you can't. That, that's them... sad. Robert, that is so sad. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's the beauty of a, uh, working at and, and for or running your own small personal place. And I'm, I'm hoping that's the way the, way the industry is going is back to more the small gym than the large health franchise. Um, well, I think that it can be know. done, especially in smaller neighborhoods and so on. And I think the neighborhood could gyms could come back. Uh, but the, the the sad part of it is, it's economically speaking, it's so difficult to get into business today. And I don't know that a person could open a good competitive health club in a town of a hundred thousand population for less than a million dollars today and really make a living out of it. And how many people of that age have three or twenty-eight, twenty-nine, or thirty years old, or whatever they are, have a million dollars sitting around? They can put the uh, yeah. an industry allow them to work seven days a week, twenty-four hours a day, hopefully get their million dollars back. Mm-hmm. It, it's sad. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But we are seeing a large resurgence of what's called the garage gym. And I think that's um, important as places. Which is good. So. Yes. Yes. Well, there seems to be that divide. Yeah, and we've uh, Bill, we've had actually shows devoted to this type of thing in the past okay. where we're talking about. Um, you know, they're getting the, the pro- proliferation of these kind of, again, yeah, um, garage gyms where people mm-hmm. are just, they're springing up. And they, they really are. It seems to be there's this massive extreme divide now uh, between, you know, the, the commercial gyms, which are not even gyms really anymore. You know, we call them more like health clubs, yeah. um, you know, where, again, they're kind of, you know, they poo-poo the idea of a deadlifting or all this type of thing. And they have baby mm-hmm. sitting care and all that thing. And it's more devoted to, you know, a scene rather than the actual, you know. I yeah, understand. It, team of health, but then you get the other side of things, again, that Phil's talking about, and, and they, it is happening, 
where you get these places where you know it's almost like key gyms and so forth where they're yes and yes where you know very hardcore places that are just devoted to to people who are just you know just interested in strength and size and, and you know and that type of thing and that it's it's a whole thing that culture I think that's rising again I think as as a kind of a I'm knocking on wood when you're saying this because I hope what you're telling is true. I really, truly do because it's just something that I've just seen go by the wayside, and and I keep coming back to the attitude I'm talking about. I'm talking to you this war, like you're saying, the cosmetic aspects of weight training is what's keeping people in the clubs today. It has nothing to do with health. It has nothing to do with strength. It's a cosmetic aspect of what your body looks like, like the person who's gawking at you from the other side of the gym. And the interesting thing about that, is, and we've talked about this much uh, in the past as well, is. I mean, if you're, and as I said earlier in the show here, if you're training um, for performance, whatever type of athletic performance you're you're going towards, your your body on the outside is going to be reflective of that. Okay. And I've always told, you know, young guys I see in the gym, like, don't don't train to look a certain way. Train to be a certain thing. Oh, that's that's beautiful. You know, um, if you want to appear muscular and powerful and, you know, um, with a lot of vitality, then try to attain that. Mm-hmm. You know, be strong. Live the lifestyle accordingly. Exactly, because like, mm-hmm. you will always outwardly reflect what the inward, what's going on inside. Yes. So if you, I mean, if you're able to lift a lot of weight and and you know be very vital and very athletic in what you do, you you'll reflect that. Mm-hmm. And as we were talking actually just last, I think it was last week on the show, um, you know, the, the the time to step on stage and have the low body fat and stuff that 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 can come later on, you know, to to kind of specifically go for you know dropping that extra body fat and those types yes. of things. But I mean, just just to look vital. I mean, I find that a lot of the guys um, back from your era certainly just appeared on stage so much more vital and so much more alive, um, and the body fat levels were certainly higher. But it looked better. In well, my there again, yeah. But there again, it's it's it, I I I hate to keep going on to this stuff, but you're talking about the different. We're talking about nutrition again and the supplementation and so on, and and, uh, and you're either a natural bodybuilder or you're in the hardcore drug bodybuilding and so on, and, and it's uh, it, it's carried to such extremes today that it just the average person just cannot even comprehend what it goes through to enter a small little contest of it, which doesn't mean anything to anybody. The amount of time and effort, and nutrition, and, and and the money they spend on on different health food products, quote unquote, to get to that degree is literally ridiculous. And Absolutely. and if, if let's just see if they could say that you're a Mr. Atlantic or City or God knows what all, it's it's just one day out of your life if you're fortunate enough to even win the contest. But if you were able to get on stage, and be healthy and happy and do the best you can with what God gave you to begin with, you won the contest. You because the contest is yourself. It has nothing to do with with, with the titles that we've won. I mean. Uh, people have talked to me about that, and I say, listen, if I won the Mr. America contest and the Mr. Universe contest, all of them put together, I've entered a grand total of 11 physique contests in my entire bodybuilding career. Now, if I had to judge my entire career or my lifestyle around 11 contests, which means about 11 days of my life, i got a problem. <laughs> <laughs> that's great perspective. It is. I was going to say, that's such a helpful attitude towards towards the whole yeah, thing. I- I think it's. I just wrote an article what two weeks ago on this, and it's champion. I just, I just set a new national record in my federation and whatnot, and it was like I got all these accolades, and you know, it was just writing about champion the journey, not the moment. You know, I'd rather people award me for the years of hard work I've put in. Same thing with say Tiger Woods or Lance Armstrong. That's what something. That's what should be revered, not that split moment in time. 
but those years it took to get that. You know what? Um, I want to say something. The fact that Bill Pearl is still, you know, as you're working out, busting your, you know, excuse me, your butt in the gym as you are, that to me is is, is, yeah. is being, you know, victorious and triumphant. Well, thank you. You know, not the guy who, like you say, and I and I firmly believe that. I remember, remember years ago. Flex Wheeler um, saying that, you know, the day he stops competing is the last day he'll ever step a foot in the gym. And, you know, to, to, to people like us, that, that's just such a foreign concept. Let's say you know, and again. It's, it's like I mean, still, I'm telling you that now I think Flex Wheeler would be more than happy to go back into the gym after the traumatic experiences he had from kidney transplants and God knows all of the abuse that he's put himself through, that to just go in and take a little Mickey Mouse workout in the gym would probably feel pretty good. You know what? That's absolutely. Absolutely, but it's amazing. And Phil was saying this about this earlier, about how it really is. It's a journey. It's not. The, it's not a destination. I, I would argue that. Yeah, because yes. like you say, I mean, and that was so succinctly put, as you were saying. If you're, if you're, you know, um, judging your whole career based on you know several days standing on stage, then you've kind of. I think people have lost the point. I hope so. Um, you know, those those appearances on stage, whether it be in bodybuilding or lifting a barbell or whatever, I mean, those are just stop gaps. In, yes. in amongst the journey, and the journey yes, is, is, is the big thing. Yes. And the, that, yeah, and I mean, also, like, you know, Bill alluded to, if the journey is it, then hell, you're done. Why keep going after you want it? There you go. You know, That's there's it. nothing to look forward to. No, no, there's not, no. no. You've got to no. keep loving each day and living it. I, I, I agree with you, yeah. And and, and, and I also have the attitude, the, the thing that if you are relatively successful and you're having a pretty good journey, why not try to pull someone along with you who's not yeah. having quite the same journey that you are? And I think all three of you can attest to this, that if you are kind of have a type A personality and, and you've been fortunate to do well, you're going to have a lot of people that you could help if you took the tire to do so because they will listen to you. And that's what you're doing with your show. And and just, you know, I've, I made it. Take care of the little guy and the little guy will take care of you. Don't worry about the big guy because he's too concerned about himself. It's the little guy that we should be concerned about. Well, you know, I, I just to kind of wrap this this up, I'd like to say that certainly, uh, you know, you, Mr. Pearl, have inspired me throughout the years. And, you know, I mean, I kind of got into this whole thing in the 80s, and, and certainly, you know, I have my heroes from that era as well. Sure. But, um, but you know, it's interesting that anybody who deeply becomes passionate about something will dig deeper. And when they dig deeper and they find out kind of start finding out the roots of the sport and, the, you know, and, and, and where it came from and, and the people that kind of brought it, forward in a good way and so forth I'm, I'm you're a bright shining light in, the, in that whole thing well i appreciate the uh, comments and i would second that thank yeah. you fantastic yeah thank you very much for joining us bill well i just nice that you've you know and i'm going to t- not you know i'm going to do my best to tune into your guys show and, and see what transpires from here and 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 it's been a real pleasure spending time with you, and, and it's uh, been a lot of fun, Robert, and, and us kind of getting reacquainted again. And I'm just happy that all three of you are doing such a wonderful job and living a lifestyle that I certainly advocate and, and think that this is certainly a lot better than worrying about what your next meal is going to come from or how much money you can spend on anabolic steroids or, or vitamins <laughs> and minerals. This is probably not a bad way to go. Not so bad at all. No. Well, thank, thank you, Bill, again. and thank you, everybody. Okay, yeah. you have a nice day, and God bless you all. You too. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.